You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. All right, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, will you take that and go to the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 is where we'll be today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, no worries. We have uh, Bibles on those tables in the back of the room, and we would love to give you one. It's our gift to you, no strings attached. So you can grab one now, or you can grab one on your way out today. Uh, And if you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? We stand because we believe... We got some issues in the loft up there, fellas, that might need a little help from you this morning. There we go. Uh, let's try that again. Just keep standing. Just hold your place there. Hold your place. All right. Sorry about that. We believe that these are indeed the words of God. And so we stand out of reverence, first and foremost, but also to show that we're ready. We're eager to hear from the Lord this morning. So listen carefully to these words from Revelation 1, verses 4 to 7. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So today we are beginning our much-anticipated series on the book of Revelation. Now, the first thing we need to be clear on together is the title of the book we're studying. It is the book of Revelation, not Revelations. I feel a bit like Hermione Granger here, telling you how to pronounce something. But it is important that we know the title of the book we're studying together. It's Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a book full of life-altering theology. But it scares many of us away because of its literary form. You see, most Christians can pick up the Gospel of John or Paul's letter to the Philippians, and they can immediately make pretty good sense of what they're reading, right? But then these same Christians pick up the book of Revelation, and they start reading about monsters and colored horses and a prostitute. And suddenly they begin thinking, am I I still reading the Bible? Or am I watching Cowboys and Aliens? Like, like what's going on here? Is Harrison Ford going to make an appearance all of a sudden? What's with the monsters? What am I reading here? So the literary form of the book is so mysterious to us, so cryptic, that often we just steer away from this book altogether. Martin Luther, the, the German reformer and beer connoisseur, once said, we are supposed to be blessed who keep what is taught in the book of Revelation, and yet none of us knows what that is. Even Luther himself said this is a difficult, complex, mysterious book. Well, over the next 10 or 12 weeks, I'm going to do my best to be your tour guide, like the rock in Jungle Cruise, just pale and less muscly 
and bearded, but I'm going to do my best to be your tour guide, and we're going to work our way through the complexities, but the profound and relevant theology of this, the final book of the Bible. I want us to begin today in chapter 1 with three introductory questions. Three introductory questions. First, what do we have here? Probably the most important question to ask as we open the book of Revelation. What exactly do we have here? You see, a responsible reading of Revelation begins with an understanding of the genre of the book. Many people focus on Revelation as if it were something that's predicting a sequence of events that all are going to occur in the final days of human history and that that's really all that the book is about. And if you read it that way, then you really don't see much, if any, relevance for the church today. But you see, I'm going to argue this morning that that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the genre of the book. It truly matters what type of book we're studying deciding what type of literature it is that we're opening together. Now, if you don't believe me, go to Barnes & Noble this afternoon and pick up a book on Caribbean cooking and then bring that book home and try to use it to find your way from Barbados to St. Barb's and see what happens. I can tell you what will happen. You'll be doubly disappointed. You'll be hungry and lost <laughs> because you've misunderstood the type of literature you're studying. And so you're going to end up hungry and lost, just like a lot of people who turn to Revelation, not understanding the genre of the book. So what do we have here? What type of literature is this? Well, in chapter 1, we learn that Revelation belongs to not one, but three categories of literature. Three categories. The first one is that Revelation is a letter. Verse 4, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Verses 4 to 7 fit the pattern of first century letters. Without a doubt, this is a letter written to seven churches that were located in Asia. Now here's what this means. If it is a first century letter, it must have been intelligible and helpful for first century Christians. For those of us who want to read Revelation as if it is setting up this sequence of events that are happening only in the future, or for those of us who want to read the book of Revelation trying to pinpoint certain individuals of our day, I have to ask you the question, why in the world would God ordain a letter to be written in the first century that was going to be largely or entirely irrelevant for almost 2,000 years? See, some of us want to read Revelation and we want to say, look, that's, that's Donald Trump. Look, up, oh, Joe Biden. Harrison Ford again, there he is. Why would God ordain a letter to be written in the first century that was to be largely or entirely irrelevant for almost 2,000 years? This book must have been intelligible and helpful for the first century Christians to whom it was first written. Revelation is first and foremost a letter. We must remember that. Now secondly, Revelation is also a work of prophecy. Verse 4, or verse 3 rather, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. In works of prophecy, God is revealing to his people, his prophets, secrets, unknown things about his plan for the world. So while Revelation was not given so that we can pinpoint particular individuals of our day, it was given to reveal God's great plan for all of history. It is a work of prophecy. So it's a letter, 
It's a prophecy. And third, and probably most important of all, it is an apocalypse. Now, this is the one we need to spend the most time on. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. When we hear the word apocalypse today, we think of some unfortunate event, right? A disaster. If you've seen the new uh, Marvel show, Loki, where does the variant hide? In the apocalypses of history, right? Unfortunate events. That's the way we usually think when we hear the word apocalypse. But in the first century, in this type of literature, it was not referring to those types of events. The word apocalypse means unveiling. The first three words in the Greek text of the book of Revelation are apocalypsis, Iesu Christu. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And that tells us that Revelation belongs to a well-known category of first century literature that was known as an apocalypse. And this type of literature has several defining features. I want to mention just two of them to you this morning. The goal and the medium. So what this type of literature seeks to accomplish, the goal, and then how it accomplishes that, the medium. Now, the goal of apocalyptic literature is very clear, and it is to give us an alternative reading of reality. Hang with me on this. An alternative reading of reality. Revelation is like the reality stone. Its power is to show us something that we've never seen before. But in this case, it's to show us the true reality. It changes our perception on the world. The big message of Revelation is this. Things are not what they seem. Things are not what they seem. There is more to reality than meets the eye. Now, how is Revelation going to change our perception of the world? How is it going to accomplish its goal? What's the medium? It's going to draw us into this symbolic world. This often happens to us when we watch an epic film. Think about a time you were in a movie theater, and it was a, just a, an epic film. You know, back in the day when people went to movies. It was an epic film, and you can remember being drawn into the world of that film for a few hours, right? You just get lost in that world, and you emerge from the world of that film, and something has happened to you. Your perception of the world around you has changed. Your passions have been awakened within you. You come out of Middle Earth, and you feel like you could take down Mordor, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I watched Rocky IV, and I come out of that world, and I just want to run to the top of a mountain, and I want to find some Russian dude and fight him. Like, that's what happens when you watch a good movie, right? You get engrossed in the story, and then what happens is your perception of the world around you, it actually is altered. You see things differently. Your passions are awakened. This is how revelation will work on us. It will draw us into its symbolic world in such a way that we see everything around us differently. Now, notice I said symbolic world. Here at the outset, another thing we need to get straight about the book of Revelation is that it is apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature demands to be interpreted symbolically, not literally. 
Most of us were taught this interpretive maxim when it comes to reading the Bible, and it goes something like this. Interpret literally except when you are forced to interpret symbolically. But that doesn't work for Revelation because apocalyptic literature demands to be interpreted symbolically. So throughout the book of Revelation, we will encounter these symbols, and we must not read them literally. People who read the book of Revelation literally are waiting for the day when the sea monster and the earth monster and the dragon will appear on this earth like like a Godzilla movie. But that is a fundamental misreading, misunderstanding of the genre of the book. It's apocalyptic literature. It's going to use symbols that stand for something else. So when Revelation talks about the lamb, it's not talking about a fluffy four-legged creature. The lamb refers to Jesus, the one who was slain for us. When Revelation talks about the dragon, it's not talking about a a medieval fire-breathing monster. It's talking about the primeval, lie-breathing leader of all rebellion against God and his people, Satan. Numbers, images, these will be symbols that we will make, we'll have to make sure we interpret them correctly if we are to understand what Revelation is trying to teach us. So we have to begin with the understanding of the genre. What type of book is this? Well, it's a letter, it's a prophecy, and it's an apocalypse. Here's the second question we need to ask. How did we get it? You ever thought about this? How did we get this book, this revelation? Well, we learn. In the, chapter, in the first chapter, we learn exactly how we got it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So in the opening chapter, we learn who the human author is, and we learn something about this chain of communication, the history of the reception here, how we got this book. The message originates with God himself, to Jesus Christ, to his angel, and then to John. And what we're going to see here in a moment is that John receives a vision, and it is this vision that he relays to us in the book of Revelation. Now, this is John the Apostle, probably John, the writer of the fourth gospel, the writer of the letters that we today refer to as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And John was an old man at the time of writing this book. He was probably in his 80s. This was probably written during the final decade of the first century. And that's important for us to know because it was a crazy, challenging time for Christians. See, in the mid-60s of the first century, persecution began to increase under the emperors Nero and Vespasian. But by by the mid-90s, by the time Revelation was written, things had gotten far worse. The emperor at this time was a man named Domitian. Domitian was not a very secure man. So to make up for his insecurities, he demanded that all Roman citizens worship him. Worship him, the emperor, as Lord and God. So if you were a citizen of Rome at this time, you were expected to go to the temple that had been built in Domitian's honor, take some incense, throw the incense on the fire of the altar, and utter the words, Caesar Curios. Caesar is Lord. 
Now, for most Roman citizens, this wasn't really a problem because they were polytheists. They already had multiple gods, so why not just toss one more into the mix, right? They had no problem worshiping the emperor, but Christians. Christians at this time knew there's only one Lord, there's only one Curios, and it's not Caesar. It's Jesus. For John, writing in the first century, there was only one Lord, and it was Jesus. John refused to bow the knee to a mere mortal. He refused to worship Domitian, and so he was banished. This often happened at this time in history because, you see, the glue that held the empire together was the worship of the emperor. And so if you refused to worship the emperor, you were threatening the empire itself. You were threatening its future, and so you were labeled a rebel, an outcast. You were banished. And that's what happened to John. John was banished to an island called Patmos off the coast of modern-day Turkey. And this is where he receives the vision that becomes the book of Revelation. Understand the context. John is banished to this island prison where Rome had rock quarries. He was going to live there and serve Rome as a slave for the rest of his days. But he looks across the sea and he remembers the Christians he left. He remembers the churches that were back still living under the tyranny of Rome. And he knows that the people in the churches there are discouraged. And they're afraid. And it's at that moment that John receives the vision that he shares in this book, the book of Revelation. So this is how this came to us. Now one more question we need to consider in closing. This is important as well. For whom was it given? Who is this message for, really? Who is the book of Revelation, this vision? Who is it for? I want to read you the the bulk of chapter 1 here, the beginning of this vision that John receives. Now, this is a bit lengthy, but I'm going to ask you to hang with me, track with me on this, because it's important. Listen to what John sees and how he sees it. I, John your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. What a great phrase that is. The patient endurance that are in Jesus. I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum and to Thyatira, and to Sardis and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, 
and those that are to take place after this. Now we can just go home now because everybody knows exactly what that means, right? Yeah? Call it a day? There's just a little taste of what to expect in the weeks ahead. Remember, apocalyptic literature demands to be interpreted symbolically. So what are some of the key symbols here? Well, one thing we're going to see again and again in the book of Revelation is numbers. The most common is the number seven. Seven is the number of completion or completeness. Remember that, the number of completeness. John receives this vision. He's told to give the vision to the seven churches in Asia. Seven very specific churches, they're named for us. But there must have been more than seven churches in Asia. So why these seven? Because the number is symbolic. John writes to these seven churches as representative of the church as a whole. The universal church throughout time and around the world. The number of completion. These seven churches in the vision are also referred to as seven lampstands. And then we discover that there are seven stars. Each church has its own star. At the end of the chapter, we learn that the stars represent angels. So what do we have here? Seven churches, seven angels. The complete community of God with the complete resources of heaven. Friends, listen, here's why this matters. Have you ever looked at our world and thought to yourself, we need help? Like, we need help from beyond. Listen to me, we have it. We have it. We have heavenly help. The complete community of God with the complete resources of heaven. But it gets even better. John also sees one like a son of man. Go back and read chapter 1 again later. There's a great line in there. It says, he turns and he sees the voice. Don't you love that? It's like that line from the original Ghostbusters. Listen, you smell something? He turns and he sees the voice. And then he sees one like a son of man. Who's that? It's a reference from the Old Testament, from the book of Daniel. This is Jesus. And where is Jesus in this vision? He's in the midst of the lampstands. He's in the midst of the churches. Jesus ain't on the sidelines. He's not spectating. He's in the thick of it. He's right there with us. And what does Jesus say? Look at it again. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, what does that mean? Keys. What does it mean to say you have the keys to something? It means that that something, whatever it is that you have the keys to, that something is not a problem for you. My house is locked. Not a problem. I got the keys. We're good. And you know what else? If you're with me and I got the keys to my house, you can come in. That's how keys work, right? 
What does it mean to say that Jesus possesses the keys to death? It means that death is not a problem for him. He's already conquered it. And if you're with him, if your faith is in him, then death is not a problem for you either. You can go with him through death to resurrection. You see how the book of Revelation is relevant for us today? As we look at our world and all that's happening in it, That's how I want to end today. I want to end with explaining to you the why. Why study Revelation right now? Because over the last 18 months, I can't tell you how many people have asked me, Dylan, do you think we're living in the last days? Maybe you've wondered that. My answer is always the same. It depends on what you mean by the last days. Because you see, John and other biblical writers, they see the last days beginning with the death and resurrection of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the end, the beginning of the final stage in God's plan for the world. And the book of Revelation will teach us that this entire stage will be a battle between good and evil. So you see, in the words of Dr. Stephen Strange, it's right to say, we're in the end game. But we must understand that our end game is gonna be a long time. It's the entire church age, the period from the death and resurrection of Jesus all the way up until his return. And this entire church age will be a battle of good versus evil. In every generation, Christians must step up and fight. And Revelation will tell us how to fight. We're going to get there eventually. But for now, the point is, in every generation, Christians must step up and fight. We will always be tempted to compromise. Just like John. Just like the Christians living at the end of the first century. We will have trials and tribulations. At times, it will seem like we are losing the battle. But remember what Revelation is all about. Things are not as they seem. There is more to reality than meets the eye. In this vision that we're going to study together, John is taken up into heaven where he sees the throne of God. He's taken forward to the final end of everything, the end of evil. And he's going to help us read the present situation in light of these two things. In light of the current throne of God and the final victory over all evil. You see, when we have this revelation that John brings us, it changes everything about the world we live in. It changes the way we see everything. When you know how the book ends, you can read each page with expectation. When you know who reigns right now, you can encounter challenges and you can have confidence. Confidence. The big idea of Revelation is that no matter how things seem, Jesus is the victor. And all who follow him are victorious. So friends, fear not tomorrow. 
fear not tomorrow. Follow the Lamb, the Lamb who is slain for us. Let's pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this complex and profound book at the end of our Bibles. So many of us are in need of encouragement right now, just like our brothers and sisters in the first century. Under the, under, under the reign of Domitian, when they were faced with so many challenges, when it would have been so easy to compromise what they believed. Lord, we can relate to that. We need the same encouragement today, and we know we will find it in your word. I pray that over the next several weeks of this study, that you would transform our imaginations. Deep within our hearts, help us to believe that things are not as they seem. That when we look at our world and we become so discouraged, so afraid, that there is more to reality than meets the eye. Remind us of your throne, God. This is your world. You're taking it somewhere. You have a plan. And it's a good plan. Don't let us forget that. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts, in our minds. I pray even now that you are encouraging us. Some of us came today and we were just ready to quit. So frustrated. Family's a mess. Job's a mess. The world's a mess. But God, you love us. You truly are in control. Your plan is good. Work that truth deep into our hearts today so that we feel it. We believe it with everything we have. And we live it. Work in our hearts, Holy Spirit, we pray. All for the sake of the Son, the Lamb who is slain, Jesus.